Hey there, thanks for joining me today for another episode of Lymphedema Podcast. My name is Betty. I'm a certified lymphedema therapist, passionate lymphedema advocate, wife, mother, and the voice behind Lymphedema Podcast. What began as a small passion project in 2019 to provide answers and explanations to people with the lymphatic disease lymphedema has now reached more than 75 countries. Whether you're a patient, caregiver, or medical professional, or someone interested in lymphedema, there is an episode here for you. Every week this season, there will be a new episode to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. I am so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I created this podcast. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. So this perspective is a patient with lymphedema and their grief. And I want to approach it from both perspectives because I think it's really important to consider what a primary lymphedema patient experiences having either been born with it or developed it. I'm going to say generally young. So 11 or younger, there are people who develop primary lymphedema 35, even 75 sometimes, depending on how it, how, um, their body is going. But for the most part, primary lymphedema is pediatric. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge what that grief looks like versus someone who is later in life, maybe sixties and maybe, I mean, there's younger, I don't know what the common age for cancer is. I don't think there is one, but someone who has had cancer treatment and experienced now lymphedema as a side effect of their treatment and surgeries, they're grieving what they had the life that they've been living for decades, but kids with lymphedema, people who are diagnosed young, they generally grieve what they'll never have or what they perceive as they'll never have a normal life, you know? So I'd like to talk about those two sides of the coin, how grief can look for a primary patient and how grief can look for a secondary patient. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate in my career to have some really um, perspective giving experiences at my very first counseling internship ever was at a medical hospital and I was stationed primarily in pediatrics. But then one day a week, I went over to the rehab hospital, which was the opposite of pediatrics most of the time. And I, I got to like flip in and out of these two things that you're describing, you know, because they, they represented these two worlds and it was really enlightening but I, I also, um, for a while, was a support group facilitator for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. I got to see children, you know, who it's been their only lived experience to be um, diagnosed, and then adults who are having to accommodate to an, a new information. And then later on, I was on the board of a neuropathy organization where I did a similar role. So I've been watching these two perspectives my whole career. And as someone who has been, you know, diagnosed my whole life, I got to say, I'm really grateful for that. I, I know it probably sounds strange, but I've just been able to accommodate from the beginning. You know, I've, I've not had to adjust um, as much. Uh, and, and so I, I think that there's pain either way and there are benefits either way. 
Um, but, you know, my more lived experiences on the side of what it's like to grow up forever, knowing this is who you are. This is the body you've given, you've been given. I think in a CLT's perspective, I see that play out in the patient demographics because in a textbook, it says that adults are more compliant with therapy and compression than pediatrics. And I, I mentioned this in the podcast, I think before I took a screenshot of it and I sent it to a group of our camp, watch me therapist. And I was like, what do you guys think? And they were like, no way. All of our adult patients, they have taken off their garment or they've gone the weekend without it or, you know, whatever it is. But then, um, the week we spend in Colorado with these kids at camp, they are in their garments morning, night, they're in compression uh, bandages at night and they don't know the difference. And so they're not like, Oh, I'm just so uncomfortable. I want to take it off. They, I mean, they're uncomfortable, but they also know from the start, this is what I need to be healthy versus an adult who has gone a decades free of compression or wearing something. And it's just like, you know, you've never had to learn how to wear a bra, but when your mom first slaps that training bra on you, I think I threw like three or four of them away at school. I'd go in the bathroom, like, I'm not wearing this thing. And the prince would be like, Betty, I need to call your mom. And I'm like, I don't want to wear it. I was that person. So as an adult, I could see they're not going to want to wear it. You're going to put them in something that's tight and constricting and they want to be free. And it's a reminder of what they've gone through. If it's especially a cancer diagnosis, it's just one more thing that says I've been through hell and back and I'm still here wearing this. Oh yeah. It, it, there, there, there's this tragedy in how a um, familiar these experiences are, you know, in, in bodies that have been going through um, pain and, and medical trauma their whole lives, there's still moments of tantruming, you know, there's still moments of pushing back. It has been my lived experience. Like I remember when I was a young adult and, and they were moving me to more restrictive orthotics to try and keep me from falling as much. And they, they're so uncomfortable. Um, and they also tell you like, Oh, you're going to atrophy more when you start wearing these, but when you need them, like, so you're telling me, that in order to keep me safe, you have to do something that's going to accelerate the progression of my illness. And I was like, is anyone else hearing this? You know, and, and you're looking around and no one's really acknowledging like, oh, you just introduced, you know, a dilemma to me that I'm now carrying on my own. And you're, when I would go back in after falling, be, you know, the first question would be, were you wearing your bracelet? Well, no, not all the time, because you told me if I wear them all the time that I'm going to have a problem. And then you tell me to wear them so I don't get hurt. And what am I supposed to do? And so there are still these moments of you're, you're grieving through confusion. You know, you're, you're grieving through some of the isolation of having to make care decisions when, you know, as even as a kid uh, where you're hearing um, the paradox or you're hearing the complexity that no one seems to be acknowledging and then it's seeming like they're turning over a moment of empowerment for you to give input. And you're like, how do I give input into two bad options? And, yeah. and so there, there is a complexity that can start happening 
there in the grief and, and you're, you're losing so many things in those moments. It's not just, you know, comfort or, or functioning. Um, you're, you're losing some dignity a lot of times, you know, in the way that it, it's handled. And I think that's one of the most overlooked conversations about patient grief is the loss of, of dignity that the system and the illness can, can try to pull away from you. The loss of dignity is something even, you know, I see children who kind of, they feel like, you know, I can't make this decision or I don't, I can't speak for myself or, you know, you, you have to be exposed sometimes, um, for therapies and for, uh, measurements. And as a child, you know, you're taught, like, don't let anyone, see you without your clothes on, or don't let, you know, Mm -hmm. the opposite sex touch you here or there. But if you're fitting a child for compression garments, you get in some really sensitive physical areas, um, on that person. And it's hard to, it's hard to undo that. I mean, I'm thinking of someone right now who, uh, they're now an adult and processing their own trauma that the first person who saw them exposed aside from their parents was a doctor. They were a young teenager, but now they're seeing that that has played a role in some medical trauma that they're experiencing because, you know, you're raised to not let anyone see you naked, not let anyone touch you here or there, but then you have a doctor that has to come in and examine you or a therapist who's fitting you for a genital compression garment and what are you going to measure other than genitals? I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that is just really contradicting in a way, but then we slap on a, it's for your own good. We're here to help you. And then we don't walk them through that. You know, we just say, we just had to, we, we bandaid with a compliment. You're so brave. You're so strong. And, And those are the, the, you know, taking away the permission to have like a moment of expressed grief, you know, I'm like, yes, I am strong. Yes, I am brave. And I'm scared and I'm hurting and I'm sad. Something's being taken from me in this moment. uh, And and I don't have choice in this moment. And and we've got to leave room for how, no, regardless of how old the patient is for them to get to have complex reactions in, in order to get all of their needs met. Lymphedema Podcast is made possible by the support of Eros Medical, Bryland's Feet Foundation, Dr. Jenna Wishnu at Lamb Vascular and Associates, Juzo Compression, and MediUSA. For more information and to browse previous episodes, visit the Lymphedema Podcast website. What are some action steps that patients who are grieving their diagnosis can take or, in, you know, encouragement that you have for them as a living, um, yeah. in this, and you don't have lymphedema, but with muscular dystrophy in living your own life of chronic illness and just one thing after another, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say it right off of the podcast. Marshall may have a broken ankle and he is powering through right now to talk to us. And 
with every question I ask, I'm like, okay, Betty, shut it down, but it's so good. No, <laughs> shut it down. No, it's really good stuff. So this will be our last question that I want you to go get your ankle checked out. But people, people who are like you, who are, you know, I just don't even, I don't even know. Like you said earlier, you think you're a delight. You are a freaking delight. This has been the best interview. And I think that it's so, I mean, amazing is like not even the right word because it's just encouraging to see someone who has lived a life with various hardships, I'm sure, um, power through and pull from that a way to encourage and to help others. And I know so many in the lymphedema community who want to do that as well, but they're still fighting their own grief. They're fighting their own struggles. How can we, how can we encourage them and make more marshals? God help the world. <laughs> True. You know, there, I have, I have a few things that like all ran to the same space in my mind. So I'm going to try and hold them all for a second so I can run through them. Um, the, the first thing uh, before I answer that directly is to acknowledge that not all patients have the same lived experience with grief, you know, because of a variety of reasons. But one that I want to be sure to name is related to, you know, inter- the topic of intersectionality. I, you know, I sit here as a white guy uh, married to a woman who was raised on the dominant religion in my country. And, and so even though I have this medical struggle, I have all this other privilege, you know, that, that, that shifts the nature of my grief experience. If I were sitting here as, you know, a, a woman of color um, that was trans or gay and maybe having not just lymphedema, but also you know, other medical issues, navigating the medical system, navigating community, navigating grief all becomes intensely more complicated. Um, So as I talk about some of the suggestions, I think I would be really remiss if I didn't first name that. Um, But one thing is to give grief permission to come and go. Um, that's the nature of how it is. So if you wake up and you have a good day and it doesn't feel heavy in you, um, that's okay. Like live that day and then have a relationship with it where you kind of talk to it and say, I understand you may visit again tomorrow and I'll open the door if you do. Um, but for today, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that, that I have a, a different moment. Um, there's this poem by Rumi, you know, this ancient, beautiful poet called guest house. And he talks about creating space in you as a guest house that can welcome any emotional visitor. And they're all treated with honor. I think a lot of times, ironically, when we've lived with illness for a long time, we're more accustomed to grief being the primary visitor. And it's actually scarier when a moment of joy comes in. And we, we don't know how to tolerate that because like, it feels like, uh-oh, that means that whenever hardship comes back tomorrow, it's going to be a fall, you know, and I would rather just hang on to the darkness. And, and so part of the thing that you can start doing is not just making peace with grief, but making peace with joy. Um, and that's 
it's scarier than it sounds to people who haven't had to live in that world. The other thing is making peace with community. We, we've talked about how much we deserve to be in community with other people who can understand our lived experience. But at the same time, as a patient, I can say this, and as someone who's run support groups, it is terrifying to walk in to a room full of people who are like you. Like, is it? And it, oh yeah, it is. It is like part of you feels maybe liberated. Um, oh, we can talk about everything. They understand it. Um, but then also you only know your identity has been groomed to only know how to be the one that's not understood. And so there are like these hangover experiences that come from that because you then have to leave that room and go back into the world. Um, and it is, mm. it is harder to navigate um, at first than someone might imagine. So I used to watch people who would find community or find a support group and only go one time because no one had predicted to them that it was going to be a little more emotionally complicated than you might've imagined it to be. So just knowing that's normal, that that is, that makes a lot of sense that you might light up. And when you leave, you might collapse a little. That doesn't mean that it's not a worthy pursuit. That just means you're, you're getting used to how to take advantage of it. Um, so those, those are the primary things that came to mind. I'm going to post the poem guest house. I'm going to pull it up and I'll share it in the blog post. Cause I already feel like I want to read it. Um, and I feel like if you are recommending it, um, it's potentially helped you and been part of your journey and it could do the same to help and be a part of other lymphedema patients journey. Grief is a collection of somatic and emotional experiences that, that come in to help you understand that you're adjusting to something. And if we can just hear it as our mind's way of flagging that some important change is happening, then we don't have to live in um, animosity with it. We, we can say, you might be hard, you might be painful, and I may not want to talk to you every moment of every day, but I understand you have a purpose. I understand you're trying to accomplish something within me. And so there is a nobility to it that's worth um, listening to. I want to thank you mm-hmm. for taking your time, for being vulnerable to share your own experience mm-hmm. um, and using your talents and passion to help others who have medical conditions, who need this type of insight. I often have the um, imposter syndrome that I struggle with. Um, because I have people either assume I have lymphedema or assume I'm a parent of a child with lymphedema. And then when I say, no, I don't, I don't have lymphedema. I've never experienced, you know, personally these things, it's almost like then they discredit what I've been doing. And I'm like, oh, well, (laughs) I'm really trying to bring these voices forward that can better represent. Um, but as you said, you know, it's really difficult to find, um, people who fit in these exact categories. And so, um, as you were talking about intersectionality and things earlier, um, lymphedema is a really difficult thing for people to get medical understanding for no matter, um, you know, across the spectrum, skin color, um, gender or other, cause it's hardly ever just lymphedema. So 
I appreciate you coming on to talk about your lived experience because it adds something that I, I can't relate to. And you have made this series so much better than what even I thought it was going to be. So I know that it's going to help so many people. And that's why I get so pumped up is because I can, I can see, and I know already people who are going to listen and they're going to connect. And that's, that's really what it's about is not feeling lonely on their journey, that feeling of being heard and being seen even on a podcast. You know, I, I think that there's some emotional labor. Um, and if you are a person going through a struggle, then you're responsible for, for educating the world about it. Um, so that's why we need allies. You know, that that's part of what allyship is about. And so I would hope those imposter parts of you know that being an ally is the most important role in most of our lives. I like to find someone who's willing to use their platform and their strength and their energy to speak when you don't have um, that within you to do. Um, and I just this last week, I took a little time away and I just took all my art supplies with me and just played. And so I just hung this little progression of flowers I painted last week. Um, so can I read the four phrases to you before we go? Yeah, because I've actually been admiring the flowers right above your head this whole time, actually. Yes. <laughs> Don't break your ankle. All right. It says, I began, I struggled, I weakened, I transformed. And that's that's why it's this isn't a scary topic. Like, yeah, we're going to weaken a little bit, but that's... That's just part of the process. That's just a moment. You know, it's not the story. And so I, I think what you're doing is really important. I hope you keep going. Thank you. I think that that is beautiful. If anyone would like to learn more about you, if they would like to find you on social media or your website, how um, can we find you? With yeah, um, being less creepy. <laughs> my my website's just my name smushed together, Marshall Wiles. And so that's three L's in a row, just keep going. You'll get there. <laughs> uh, and then um, my social media is linked through my website, but Instagram is where I do most of my living because it's less scary than all the others to me. And that's where I put out um, the poems that I'm writing about my own lived experience. And so I would welcome you into community. And I'm beginning a, a project that um, I would love for everyone to know about of I'm wanting to have conversations for an eventual um, a series of, of things I'm going to do with people who identify as disabled or ill and are also artists and healers. And so um, through Instagram, you know, that's a way to watch for what's unfolding there. And I would love, love to be in community with everyone. So I pulled you up, yeah. Marshall N. Lyles on Instagram, and I'm assuming this cute little boy is you. It is. I've, I've been writing poems to my inner child, so I decided I should probably put a childhood photo there. Mother Teresa says, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about grief on the spectrum. Remember, if there's a topic you're looking for, the website has a full library of podcasts. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode. <laughs>